This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Aloha, everybody. Welcome back to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. I'm very excited today to welcome Shane, Dorian, Lucas, and I are both really lucky to have Shane here. Shane and I got introduced, I think, a year and a half, two years ago by a mutual friend, Mike Field. And uh, Shane is not only a big wave surfer, which is like I don't know, it takes my breath away to even think about those waves, but also a trader. So I invited Shane to come on today to speak to you traders. And I'm really grateful you're here, Shane. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good morning, you guys. Good morning. Good morning. So here's his official bio, but you know, he'll fill in any blanks I leave mm -hmm. out. Uh, Shane is an American-born uh, surfer, born here on the big island of Kailua, Kona. Uh, he, he lives about an hour and change from me up here in Waimea. Um, Shane spent 11 years on the World Championship Tour as a pro surfer. He left competitive surfing in 2003 to focus on big waves. He's one of the best in the world at big wave surfing, I think the best. Um, he is also the designer of a safety suit that brings big wave surfers up to the surface quickly after a terrifying wipeout he had in California in 2010. He's also a bow hunter, and yes, as I said, trader, he is also an experienced trader. He's been trading since 2004, uh, and he's also an ambassador for Billabong, among others. Also part of an incredible documentary called Momentum Generation, can't recommend it enough, uh, and it's a must-watch really about him and other surfers uh, and how they all came up uh, and became really this tribe of you know brothers and surfers before that industry really existed. You guys kind of put it, I think, on the map. Would you agree, Shane? Um, I don't know if I would go that far, but it was you know part of like the story of you know surfing history at this point. You know, just like every other other sport, there's like different generations, and we were pretty lucky. You know, growing up here in Hawaii is kind of the epicenter of surfing, and so we just became really good friends. Our, um, you know, I would meet service from all around the world that were younger. And so like my, my friends from California and Florida and all from around the world, each year we would kind of gather here on the North shore of Oahu. And um, yeah, we just became really good friends. We had a, kind of a tight knit, knit group of people and we all pushed each other and kind of grew up together. So very, very grateful for that experience for sure. And we're still really good friends to this day. It's pretty remarkable. I remember you spoke about how you're all still friends and that, you know, you have this like, uh, direct, you know, messaging back and forth sometimes with yeah. all of you. And one of the things that I got out of that documentary was that because you all were in it together, you each did push each other forward, encourage each other, have each other's back. Uh, that's something I'm a big advocate of when traders talk about, you know, how isolating it is, how lonely it is. They, they don't really have anybody to fully understand their losses and their wins, right? They can't fully be transparent with people who don't understand. And one of the things I always say is, you know, you've got to have a buddy or at least some sort of a tribe of people who have your back. What, how does that, how did that impact you as a, as a surfer, as you were coming up? having that tribe, having the people, you know, 
guys in it with you. Did that make a huge difference? Yeah, for sure. I think it, I think it did. It, it, was, it was great to have a really strong, small group of my peers that we were all sort of on the same page. We we're all sort of the same age and, you know, for the most part, um, similar ability levels and similar goals. So we all sort of had our eyes on the same prize. And, um, and so we would do it all together. We would, we would stay together and, and, uh, surf together, train together. And so it was really cool. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. And then I, we were really lucky as well to have a couple mentors. We had a couple of guys that were a little bit older than us, four or five years older than us. So they were sort of at the next level already. And it was really good because those guys kind of took us under their wing. And so when we had our, our, you know, victories or our, you know, painful experiences, those guys were there to try to, you know, help us navigate the situation. Yeah. Yeah. When you believe you said it was 2004 when you started to trade. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess I should probably go through a little bit of my history with that. Please. Um, uh, I, I guess it's probably pretty interesting with everybody that comes on your show as far as like what their first experience was and you know how they got into it. Yeah. Um, so I guess long story short, um, I had a I had a really good friend whose dad owned um, a bunch of uh, coffee retail stores, and I didn't drink coffee at the time at all. And he told me he goes, yeah, my dad told me that if if I had any money at all, that I should put it into Starbucks stock. You know, because he he did. You know, this guy he 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 actually owned the coffee bean and tea leaf. Was oh, wow. his his father started that company, and I didn't know anything about coffee, but I just was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I was pretty young at the time. This is like in in two thousand and two, um, and so I ended up buying Starbucks stock, and that started doing really well. You know, that was kind of like at the bottom of that really horrible bear market from two thousand and two thousand two, and so the timing was was good, and the and obviously the Starbucks was onto something huge. I thought the story was done at that point. I, you know, Starbucks seemed like it was already everywhere to me. So from an investing standpoint, to me, it seemed like the story had already been told, but I was totally wrong. Um, and so I put my money there and it started doing really well. And then about, and then I, you know, I got really into it because I was like, wow, this is amazing. Just sort of watching my investment grow over time. And, and so the next summer, um, I, I was traveling full time on the tour competing as a surfer at this time. And I would always travel with like six or six or eight of my buddies. And so wherever we'd go, we would like rent a couple houses, rent a couple cars and do it all together. Yeah. And at the time we were all obsessed with music and we would travel with backpacks full of CDs. Like, and so our whole music collection was filled in our backpacks traveling. So we'd all have like a 20 pound backpack. And then like that little, click wheel iPod came out the very first generation of the Apple iPod. And I remember cause we all bought them in California the first week they came out. And about a week later we all went to France together. And within like three days I had all my friends libraries of music on my iPod. And I was so blown away. It like changed everything for me. And, and um, I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to do with all my CDs. I had like 300 <laughs> CDs that I would travel with that weighed like 30 pounds. And uh, I was like this, like, I was like hundreds of millions of people are going to experience this in the next few weeks. So yeah, sorry about the long, the long story, but it, it kind of sets the scene because, um, you know, I bought, I bought Apple in the summer of 2003. Um, 
which was like crazy timing, right? And <laughs> and so I had I had Starbucks that was like ripping to the upside, and I had Apple what was ripping to the upside, and I was just tripping. I couldn't believe it was real. And all of a sudden, both my stocks were up like three or four hundred percent. And I was so baffled that I just was like, "There's no way it's this easy. There's no way it, it can't be." And um, and so then I started going down the crazy rabbit hole. I went to Borders and started started looking at all the books like on on investing and trading. And then I read a bunch of like Warren Buffett type books. And and then I started just like trying to consume all of the stock market kind of books that I possibly could. And kind of like figuring out, you know, you know, what sort of like methodology or what type of personality type I had for, for investing. Um, I was really into like growth investing and like stories and like, like the macro picture and what it was going to be like three to five years from now and like making bets like based on that. Um, and so I guess long story short, I, one of the books I came across was, um, how to make money in stocks by Bill O'Neill. And that book totally changed my life. Um, that was like a crazy aha moment for me. I ended up reading that book about 10 times in a row. And then I started going to, um, what was the the aha it brought you to? Well, it's, you know, that, uh, Bill O'Neill, I don't know if you are really familiar with him, but he's, he's in his seventies or early eighties. Now he's been investing since the late fifties and he developed a system called um, the can slim system, C A N S L I M. And it's like a growth, a growth investing, uh, kind of a trend following system. Um, anyway, uh, that really resonated with me just because it was like a, like a fundamentals and technical type of system where, you know, like the, the, the stocks that I was looking at all of a sudden I was able to look, look at that through a lens and go, okay, here's all the boxes. These, these stocks need to tick. They need to have these types of, um, you know, earnings, sales, profit margins, management, um, return on equity, all these different fundamental traits of like past huge stock winners. And then it also had to set up like in a technical picture with relative strength and a buy point and all that stuff. So that was a really cool um, educational like period for me to really try to understand that and, and see how to, how to buy stocks within this system you know, even though the stocks that I was already interested in kind of fit the system anyway. Yeah, um, that's was, what I'm fascinated by is it, it for you to have stumbled into your first two, you know, trades basically became the same pattern that you stayed with. That's somewhat unusual. Like, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I was really lucky. I, I kind of found found a system that... Um, was 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 really like focused on the kind of stocks that I'm into anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff that has has a lot of like liquidity and um and institutional sponsorship type of stocks. I don't ever buy like I, I wasn't interested in penny stocks. I wasn't interested in anything that didn't have um earnings or at least really really strong sales revenue yeah. growth. And um and so yeah, it was it was a it was a great fit for me. And and then so that was in about 2004, I started studying that system. And then I, I went to like, they have different, different like um, seminars. I would fly to California for their seminars. And so I went to like three or four of those and went to like their, their master trader program. And, and so, yeah, I just, I got more and more into it. And then I started having more success and, and, some, and some tough periods as well. But 
it's just been a great, it's been a great, um, uh, the last, what has it been like 16, 17 years now, it's been a lot of fun and, uh, you know, very educational and super humbling and, and yeah, I really enjoy it. What, what do you see? You know, I talk a lot and think surfing is a great metaphor and I'm talking regular surfing, not even big wave surfing, but I've always seen that as a great metaphor for how you have to be present in the moment and you can't be too far ahead of yourself and you can't be in the past. Uh, do you find, or did you find as you started to trade that your experience as a surfer served you? Definitely. Uh, there's, there's a, there's so many different things about, there's, there's so many different things that kind of translate perfectly for trading for me personally. Um, especially with big waves. Like I'm really focused on big wave surfing. I, I love surfing all types of waves, all sizes of waves, but my specialty, I would say, or my, my strength is big wave surfing. And a lot of big wave surfing is like your mindset and like your emotional stability under pressure. And, you know, just, just being able to keep your shit together when, when the, the going gets tough. Wow. And, um, and that's definitely trading, right? Like you're under fire. It feels like you're in a war zone a lot of times. And if you lose it or, or you panic or whatever it is where, you, you know, you don't trade your plan, um, then like you're, you're off your game and, and then you start, you know, shifting styles or shifting methods. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of really great lessons for me in surfing. I mean, with big wave surfing, the number one thing is patience, you know, having the patience to wait for the right, wait for the right situation, the right conditions. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, so for example, with surfing, like, um, like the, the best big wave in the world is Jaws and it's on Maui. The, the name of the surf break is called Jaws and it's on the north side of Maui. And it's basically terrible and you can't surf it like 99% of the time. So maybe two to three days a year, the waves get really, really good there. And about... 15 days a year, the waves are big and you can surf it, but it's not optimum. And you can go out there and surf really big waves and, and experience really big waves, but the risks are so high and the rewards are so low and there's a lot of danger element and you can really like ruin your year, like blow your knee out or drown or, and it's not just, just like the, like the, like the, like the reward is not worth the risk. And so that's sort of the way I look at stocks and that's sort of the way I look at the markets is trying to like manage the risk. Um, and I've been doing that in surfing like my whole life. So that, that I think is probably the biggest thing, like having the patience to wait for the, the right, the right conditions, essentially. Like there's so many times where I've gone, okay, there's a really big swell. I'm going to pack up all my big boards and get all my gear ready. And I'm going to leave my family and fly over to Maui and I'm going to surf this big swell at Jaws. And I'll hire, um, you know, water safety and have all my boards ready and have all my food ready and my energy stuff ready and have my bodies ready and my, my emotional state and my mindset's ready. And I'll get out there in the morning and the conditions just aren't what I want and aren't what I need. And a lot of guys will paddle out into the lineup and go surfing because they spent all this money to get there. They, you know, they, they have all these goals in mind. They, they want to achieve this and that. And they're not looking at it from like a risk reward perspective. They're looking at it like, this is my moment. I got to do it. The waves are big. And you, if, if you approach a stock market like that, 
you're going to be over trading. You're going to be in there every single day trying to be a hero. Um, and so for me with surfing with big waves, I just sit on the sidelines and just be like, Hey, these are not the right conditions for me. These are not the right conditions for my mindset and my surfing style. I'm going to wait for everything to line up perfectly. And then I'm going to take a huge swing at it. I'm going to really, really try to, 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 to time my surfing session in the best conditions possible that suit me as a surfer. And then when those conditions really line up, I'm going to like really, really focus and completely commit. And if I had that mindset with trading more often, <laughs> I would be a much better trader. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Oh, you're, you're, well, it's, it's, do you find it as risky? Like, do you, do you like risk? I mean, you can't be a big wave surfer without having some sort of, you know, nourishment from risk. So do, how do you, how do you mitigate it then in your trading? What, what do you lean on to keep you conscious of, I have to keep my risk minimum here? Uh, I mean, I just don't like losing money. <laughs> <laughs> at all i really hate it and so every time i have a losing trade or or a series of losing trades i i i one strength of mine is i don't i don't revenge trade that's okay. something that i've learned to not do and when i have a string of losing trades or if i'm not um if i'm underperforming or or something's just off i'll either scale back completely to cash or i'll make my position position size a whole lot smaller and just trade really, really small until things start gaining traction, then I'll ramp back up. And so I guess that's probably the, the biggest thing is, is managing my risk in a way where if things aren't working out, it's either something wrong with my trading or the market conditions. And, and, and I'm, I'm really, I'm really, um, I'm really fortunate. I'm, I'm on a couple of platforms with, with, uh, with, with some other traders that, that are really good and much more experienced and probably a whole lot more successful than I am. So I do have, it's almost like a peer group. It's almost like having support where mm -hmm. I see the market, not only through my own eyes, but through, I can, I can kind of watch in real time how people with a whole lot more experience are interpreting what's happening. Yeah. 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 And the patients, um, I just want to talk about that for a minute. Cause you know, there are traders, we, we get sophisticated traders listening to us. We get some new piece and just even a trader the other day, you know, to a post wrote me and said, you know, I've been at this full time for three years and I just can't believe it's taking us so, me so long. And I was like three years is not that long. So what about you? How, how long did it take you? I mean, you got lucky right out of the gate with Starbucks and Apple, but then going forward, what what have did you struggle with that it's been two or three years i can't believe i'm not excellent at this i'm still struggling with that now <laughs> and it's been 16 or 17 years i should be i you know in like in in my mind i should be a whole lot better at this than i am um but i absolutely am obsessed with it i love the studying i love the research i love um I love doing deep dives on companies and management and products and services. And it's, it's just for, for me, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a treasure hunt to, to, to see if, if I can uncover something that I feel a lot of conviction about and see whether I'm right in the long term. And, um, I do have a knack for, I do have a knack for, for, um, identifying big winning companies. 
I just don't have a knack for sitting tight in them. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? If I just limited my trading to like one idea per six months and went, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to allocate a portion of my portfolio to this one idea. I'm limited to only that one trade once every six months, I would probably absolutely kill it. I just (laughs) get really freaked out when, when the market has unstable, you know, unstable a couple of weeks or, even a few horrible days in a row on monstrous volume to, to me, I, I get really sketched because I'm trying to manage my risk so yeah. tightly that a lot of times I get shaken out right near the lows of, of the indexes low when they like right before they bounce, I get shaken out of everything thinking this is the start of something more serious, yeah. you know, and I'm sure yeah. a lot of the people like listening to that can, can totally relate to that. Cause in this market, the last couple of years, like buying the dip or, you know, waiting for, the mark to look really scary and terrible for like a few weeks or even like a few days, that's the time to buy. Right. And, and that's just really, that's, that really goes kind of against, um, for me, I'm like a trend follower. Right. So as soon as the trend breaks, I'm sort of out. And so it's, it's, it's been tough for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas, did you kind of ask something before? Um, yeah, a couple of things. I mean, I, I, so I feel like you and I have a pretty similar, uh, trading and slash investing experience. Like I, I started working at Apple and they gave me some stock. So I was like, I got to figure out what this is and how this works. Um, that was back in like 2000, around 2010 or so. Um, yeah. and, and then I was like, yeah, read, uh, like Benjamin Graham books and then found like how to make money in stock. So that's basically how I trade now. And I'm wondering, um, do you, What's your what's your like preferred time frames and like how long are you how long are you holding generally? Um, is it more years, uh, positions, or just swing trading for a few days, weeks? Yeah, so I would say I'm more of a uh, position trader. Um, like for example, I, I guess maybe I'll share my screen and just go over a couple recent trades oh, that yeah, I've done. Fun. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so I tried to buy um, NVIDIA, which I, I just think is a great company. They have, you know, you can see down at the very bottom. Here, I'm going to move you guys again. Sorry. Um, you can see down at the very bottom these these, these boxes. This is a, pro- a program called MarketSmith, and it's really good because it has a lot of fundamental uh, data as well as technicals. And you can see right here the after-tax margins. You can see how strong they are all the way across the board right here, uh, quarter after quarter. Um, you can see the sales, super, super strong, double-digit. You can see the earnings super, super strong. They have great products. I mean, they're well positioned for everything in the metaverse and machine learning and, you know, everything with uh, EVs and, um, you know, basically anything you're trying to build for the future, you're going to be using these people's products. Um, So I've been in this stock over the last few years quite a lot. I bought it right here. Can you see my cursor? Yeah. 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 So like you can see this thing was making a really big base throughout this whole bit. I think I tried it here, got stopped out. I tried it here. I rode this up a bit and then I sold it right here. Mm-hmm. And then this made a really nice little cup and handle. And I bought it right down here in the bottom of the handle. Mm-hmm. I thought I was timing it perfectly. Came down. I got shaken out. I, a, a lot of times I, I'll use the 50 day moving average and buy right around the 50 day moving average, which is yeah. this red line on the chart is the 50 day. Mm-hmm. moving average line. So I tried it here. I think I got shaken out right around here and then it's set up right here. This is, this is probably the most important part of the chart yeah. is right here. There, there's these three red days. Mm-hmm. Can you see those? Yeah, we can. And, and if you go down to the bottom right here, you can see really nice, 
really nice high volume right here. And then these three days right here, they, the, the volume is like insanely dry. Yeah. You see that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so on these three days, it was consolidating right underneath that red line, which is a 50 day moving average. So just as it broke that 50 day moving average and that, that short term high right there, I bought the stock on this day right here, which is, um, wow. 10, 14. Yeah. And then I wrote it up and then I just sold it today, this morning. Wow. Um, nice. And so that was an eight week hold for me. I'd say that's pretty typical. I try to hold stocks for eight weeks um, in how to make money in stocks. A lot of times they say um, if a stock goes up 20% or more in three weeks or less, you should try to hold at least eight weeks because that is a, that's a, that's a trait of winners. many of the biggest winning stocks in history. Um, a lot of times they'll go up 20% or more in three weeks or less. And so a lot of times I'll try, as long as the market is decent, um, I'll try to give a stock the benefit of the doubt and try to hold it for eight weeks as long as it doesn't get in trouble. And so, so I, so, so I sold that today. That was an eight week hold. I also sold, um, Apple today. Um, my chart, my, my chart for some reason is not really showing it, but, um, so this is a cup and handle on the daily chart right here. Do you have any questions about my charts, by the way? Is it no, confusing? Not yet for me. Kim, do you have any questions? Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah this so this is, is a daily, this is a daily chart of Apple. And, um, and once again, you can see the sales and earnings down here, like really, really consistent sales and earnings growth, even with, you know, the, the law of large numbers that Apple is dealing with, you can see they have incredible fundamentals. Um, and so I was watching this and I wasn't really interested in Apple. They're so big that it doesn't seem possible to get a really big move out of them anymore. But, you know, obviously history has proven me wrong plenty of times. And so this was creating a really nice little cup and handle. Yeah. And this started getting on my radar right about here. And then during this period right here, these like few weeks, the market was really, really weak. And a lot of stocks were breaking down. A lot of uh, technology stocks, a lot of growth stocks, even like a lot of the steels and oil stocks that have been leading, they were all breaking down right here and Apple didn't. So it was showing pretty impressive relative strength. And so I bought Apple right here on this day, which was 1117. Um, and it came up, had a nice little pullback and then it was so strong the last couple of days in a weak market that I just went, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take this, this, this winning trade because I've had a bunch of like losing trades as well lately. And so these couple winners I, I was really happy with and they, they helped me a lot just to kind of stay green in this really terror. This is, I mean, if you're a growth stock investor in the last few weeks, it's been really, really tough. The, the last few months, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's great. It's a, it's a great platform. What, what you're using. I really like how clean it is. It's great. And then I'll just, Click yeah. on the weekly so yeah. you can see the fundamental data. Um, it's a great, it's a great uh, service. This is MarketSmith. Yeah, so right here you can see this is a sales growth and it shows it like all stacked up like quarter by quarter. Yeah. So it's really simple to, to read. Um, and here's the earnings growth. You can see the number of funds. This is really interesting to me. Um, you can see the number of institutions that own the stock quarter over quarter. Interesting. And, and so you can see like Airbnb is a company that I really like, I think is, yeah. is a really great idea for the next three to five years. This is a stock I've been trying to hold and it's been really difficult, but you can <laughs> see the number of funds has been interesting. See just um, in December, 2020, yeah. there was only 600 funds and then 700, 900, 
So you can see that fund growth quarter over quarter yeah. is really, really strong. And that's something I definitely look for as far as from part of the fundamental story. I'm always looking for the, the companies that the large institutions are starting to buy. Yeah. Makes sense. Is, is that something that you start to pick up on your own that those institutions was a good flag for you? Um, no, uh, that is part of the CanSlim system. Um, so in, in that CanSlim system that Will O'Neill, uh, William O'Neill developed, um, so it's C-A-N-S-L-I-M. And um, so the, the I in CanSlim is institutions. And, and so you, you really want to see the institutional sponsorship. So I'm always looking for companies that have a lot of liquidity, have at least probably I'd say like two to 300 institutions owning them. Yeah. There's like a kind of a sweet spot between, I, I would say like between like 200 institutions and 1500 institutions. That's like during that time, a lot of times you see like kind of like this institutional adoption. And a lot of times you see um, once, once a company goes from like, 100 to 150 to 200 then you see like this this trend in institutional sponsorship starting to grow and a lot of times i remember i bought um for this is a really good example i guess and for me a huge like learning opportunity uh in 2013 i think it was i bought facebook and facebook was was a stock that had so much hype for the ipo that um everybody was talking about it everyone was trying to buy it everybody was talking about how rich they were going to get buying facebook yeah. stock before the ipo and if, if you remember in 2012, when it IPO'd, they flopped like horribly, like the stock was down like 50% in a few months. Um, but it was a great growth story and, and they had incredible strong revenue growth. And they, at the time they couldn't figure out mobile. And in one quarter, they had this, they had this earnings call, um, this, this big earnings report where they basically, in one quarter, they figured out mobile for the first time. And the stock gapped up the next day, like 25%. And the volume on that day was over 700% above its daily average volume. So you get this institutional quality stock with all these funds in it. And all of a sudden on one day, 700% more volume than its, daily, than its daily average trading volume. And I bought that gap up. I bought it a, a huge position that day on that gap up. And it was a, so it was two things. It was, it was them figuring out mobile it was the stock uh, responding with monstrous volume. These institutions had to have the stock all of a sudden because there were so many doubters. There were so many people saying, hey, Facebook can't, can't figure out mobile. They don't have a, you know, a, a way to monetize their platform on mobile. And all of a sudden they had like this clear proof that they did. And not only that, but you saw the institutions piling in because of the volume. Yeah. And so at the time, I remember there was only about 600 funds that owned Facebook. And at the same time, there was 4,000 funds that owned Apple and about 3,000 funds that owned Google. And so I was just doing the math. I'm like, man, this, this story is so, so, so new. It's so, it's so early because these funds have to get in. It's yeah. this monster li liquid name with this huge growth runway and there's only 600 funds that own it. That's crazy. And so, um, and so that gave me a ton of conviction to hold. And I like marked up my chart when I bought it. Like I always do like these chart markups where I'm like, I put all of these, you know, basically things to build my own conviction. Like here's the sales, here's the earnings, the fun, the funds are, are accelerating. Um, they have crazy revenue growth. They have crazy return on equity. 
here's all their products and here's what I think that they're, you know, they, I try to build my conviction with, with, with all like the, 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 the fundamental data and what I, what I, what I, what I'm reading into that. And then, and then I try to basically say, Hey, like you have to, you cannot sell this stock within six months as long as it's in the green, you know? And so with, with Facebook, I did okay with, I, I, I did, I held it about six months or eight months. And I think the stock like doubled or something like that. So that was a big winner for me. And so now a lot of times I look at stocks that are kind of newer, like an Airbnb or like a snow or -hmm. like a um, Palantir, which has been doing bad lately. But I look at those kind of like institutional quality liquids, like big liquid growth stocks from like a, from a perspective where how many funds own them now and how many funds are likely to own them in the future. Yeah. And, and just curious before, when you were talking about Facebook, you said, I did okay. What, what, what is the reason you say, okay, look, it's just a great, not okay. So what's that? What's that? There's some, you know, frustration there. What is that? It's my inability to, to hold for the longer term move. Yeah. Um, I struggle with that. I, a lot of times I'm like, Hey, like I'll write on my, on my, on my chart right there. I'll be like, Hey, you got to hold this at least six months or at least 12 months because I'm so sure I'm absolutely sure as long as the market doesn't get into like significant trouble. And as long as I have a profit cushion, I should just hold it. And, um, that's a lot easier said than done for me. And so when I hold something for six to eight months, that's huge. Um, a lot of times if I hold something for, for eight weeks or 12 weeks, that's, that's a pretty long hold for me. But uh, you know, in, in the past I've, I've done pretty well holding like my probably my longest, holds were like Facebook, Apple, and Amazon. Um, so I, you know, when I have conviction in a big liquid leader like that, a big, a big solid growth stock with really strong institutional support with yeah. great earnings, great, great sales, great return on equity and great products that I believe in. Um, you know, those are the things that I'm trying to hold for the longer term. I just, I get disappointed in myself because I, you know, you know, what, once I do have a big gain, I start going, Oh man, I, I, I sort of want to protect myself. And, and, you know, sort of looking back now, I'm trying to, trying to learn a little bit of a different strategy of instead of selling the whole thing, like to peel off pieces as it's going up, you mm-hmm. know, what, once it's up a certain amount or what, once I am able to hold six months, maybe I sell 25% or I sell half and try and keep, keep half or keep a quarter over time. Yeah. And I want to say though, you're a man whose whole life, has been about mitigating risk. So I, I would imagine that that's your natural disposition. Like that's part of why you're still here. You're, you're still alive because you didn't take that crazy wave in Portugal that you flew in for. Like that mitigating risk has saved you a lot of times. Oh yeah, saved me huge. And, and you know, the, the, all the trades I'm talking about are my winners, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and like I, I keep, pretty close track of, of my win rate and my average loss and my average gain. Um, probably every six months, I kind of like redo those numbers. So, so I'm, I'm very like familiar with my strengths and weaknesses and how I'm trading relative to the market. And you know, I'm like at like this year in 2021, I think I'm around my, my win rate is like 30%. So like out of, out of 10 trades, I'm wrong seven. And so if I, if I'm wrong big, I'm, I'm toast. And so my, my, my average loss is about, is about 4%. So I try to keep my average loss under 5%. A lot of times it's about 3%. 
Wow. And then my average gain is more like 15%. So I try to do like a, like a sort of like a three to one. That's my goal. That, and that way I can sort of keep myself out of trouble. And then every now and then I'll have like I, when I sold NVIDIA today, I think I was up like 50% or 51%. Yeah. And then with Apple, I, I forget what it was. It was like 15, 16%, something like that. Um, and so that kind of offsets a lot of the little losses I've had recently that have been really annoying. Yeah. For, for listeners, it's December 1st, 2021. If you're looking, trying to look at like what he's talking about, and what today is, yeah. uh, what do you feel helped you determine? Do you feel once you saw O'Neill's book, you were, you were just in, or did you have you since looked at other styles of trading to make sure, you know, at least in the beginning, this was the fit for you? What, what do you, you know, remember about that when you saw his style of advocacy? Did it just, that was it? You were done? That's a really good question. Um, I think once I read the book, I became, you know, w- once I read the book once, I really didn't understand all of it, but I, understand, I understood certain concepts and certain chapters. And so I read the book again, and then I read the book again, and then I read, read the book again. And then I went to the first seminar and I listened to some of the presenters speak and have their presentations about, you know, past historical winners. And, and, and a lot of them were the stocks that I was really interested in. Some of the stocks that I was already in, um, like Apple and Starbucks. And to see how these guys held it, like according to their rules, how they, how they bought the, the, the stocks, held the stocks and sold the stocks according to their rules was fascinating to me and how they were able to do it time and time again with all these different like market conditions and, and market cycles to like identify like the leading growth stocks and, and how they analyze them and how they bought them, how they held them according to their rules and then how they had rules to sell them. That was so cool to me. Yeah. And, and, and it took me a very, very long time to consistently figure that out and to, and to um, follow the rules. The hardest one being to, to cut your losses quickly and, mm-hmm. and to make, your, make sure your losses don't get out of hand. That's when probably the take- hardest one because our ego is always messing with us, right? That's a, when we take a loss, we're accepting that we were wrong. And that, that is so, uh, so tough for, for, you know, human nature with our egos. It, it makes it really hard to be like, I was wrong about this. And that was really hard for me at first because admitting I was wrong was, was tough. And now it, I'm, I'm so happy to admit that I'm wrong. I just admit I'm wrong right away. Hey, th- I was wrong about this. I'm out. You know, you said so long. What, what is that time frame? If you're comfortable sharing, you said it took you so long. What, what, how well, long? I mean, it's taken me, I mean, it took me years for sure to, to really follow that rule every time. And, and so my risk tolerance was higher than as well. Like when I first started out, like Bill O'Neill, the, so the, the original books, they're pretty set up for, to be kind of, even though it's kind of a complex system, it's, it's pretty simple. Like the, you're supposed to cut your losses. You're supposed to buy at the exact buy point and, and that's all explained, right? So you, so you, so you identify a clear buy point of where you should buy. You shouldn't chase over a certain percentage above that. And then if you're wrong, you should sell six to 8% at a loss. Like say you're wrong, it goes down 6%, 7%, 8%. You should be out. No questions asked. And as, as I've gotten more experienced with this, I, I'm much better at identifying really precise buy points. And so my risk tolerance has gotten smaller and smaller over time. And then also at, with Bill O'Neill's books, 
there, there's a there's another guy. His name is Mark Minervini. I don't know if you guys know him, but he's yeah. also wrote a series of really amazing books, and they're sort of built on top of O'Neill's system. So Bill O'Neill wrote these incredible books, and then there's been all these like guys coming up studying under Bill O'Neill. So Mark Minervini was a guy like me who started reading Bill's books, going to all his seminars, but he's kind of adapted Bill's system into his own. Very, very similar, but more precise, I would say. More granular, more super, super specific entry points, and the risk tolerance is much smaller. So even mm. though they're a very similar system, I would say I'm not, I haven't sift system drifted at all, mm. but I'm definitely more of like a Mark Minervini type trader, maybe not timeline wise, as far as like, he's more of a swing trader, like, He'll hold things from like three days, five days, 10 days, where I'm trying to hold things for like eight weeks or 12 weeks or six months. So yeah. I'm more of like an intermediate term trader, but I use those entry points that, that Mark Minervini um, has in his books that are much more super, super precise, like to like the like 1%. You're not supposed to chase past 1%, which yeah. is the, that risk tolerance is so tight. Yeah. What do you feel, uh, uh, let's see, as a person who's just beginning and they're not sure yet what style they're going to do are there where how would you advise them to investigate what suits them you said early too about you felt his style o'neill felt your uh, matched your personality so what would your advice be to somebody who's trying to determine what kind of trader they're going to be oh man that's so tough that's so tough. I would say probably to, to, to try and do like what we did, like read, you know, read a lot and like study what people do and, 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 and whether you, you know, when, when you look at investing from a lens of like, Hey, like, am I a value investor? Like, like, can I, can I really, do I grasp like that there's been a, a recent bear market and Coca-Cola has been beat up and it's down 40 or 50% off its highs. Like, does that, does that make sense to me that, Hey, this thing is crazy cheap. And I, I have the, the risk tolerance and the, and the stomach for sitting through all this volatility until Coca-Cola gets back to its highs or, you know, something like that versus, you know, am, am I a growth investor? Can I identify a growth story and amazing products and services like that? That's like, like when I go into a, a store or a like a like a retail store like take Zara. Do you, are you guys familiar with that brand Zara? Yeah. I was traveling with my wife, probably in about I don't know 2000 and, 2005 maybe. We we're in we we're in England for a surf contest, and then we went to France for a surf contest, and then we went to Spain and then Portugal. And when we were in England, we we were in London for a few days on vacation. My wife and I, and and um we and she loves clothes like every other girl on earth. <laughs> and she went into this store called Zara and it was like this all glass, super modern, three stories. And the place was packed. I mean, packed, massive line to buy stuff. Everyone coming out of there had like five bags. And I was like, these people are absolutely crushing it. And so we, then she bought some other stuff in London. And then we went to France and we went to Paris and there was a couple Zara stores under construction. And the ones that weren't, that were already there were full. And then we went to Spain, same exact thing. And I'd never heard of the company before. And so I immediately called my financial advisor at Morgan Stanley and said, dude, I need to know how to, how to buy this stock, Zara stock. And he's like, it's not traded on the American stock exchange, but it's on the Spanish stock exchange. And so I ended up buying it through Morgan Stanley and just no chart, no nothing. It was just a fundamental story of like, this thing is going to kill it. And I ended up 
holding, holding, hold, I sorry, I, I ended up holding Zara for about five years and it, and it did really well. It was like a six or 700% winner. And so that stuff like really resonates with me where I'm like, Hey, this, like people are really catching on to this. This is a trend that's just beginning this product or this service or this restaurant or this retail, um, you know, company is, this is, this is happening. And I would say not from like an ego perspective, but just from like my job and traveling a lot, I'm like an early adopter and I get to see things in different parts of the world, probably earlier than other people. And so that's an advantage I have. And I, I want to try and take advantage of that. You know, I, I, um, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm in a position to see things through a little bit of a different lens. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I would say that that that's once you identify what your advantage is, you really want to use it. Yeah. It, it sounds to me like it's a combination of the, a lifestyle that somebody has a mindset, a perspective and their temperament. And if you, are conscious of each of them, then you're going to maybe just find yourself gravitating towards a certain style. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, I'm part of a group of friends that are the, we, we have a trading group. Um, it's called losers takes, uh, losers take profits <laughs> and it's just my buddies. And it's a bunch of people in the surf world. Like there's like four other pro surfers, two filmers there's like maybe like six other pro surfers two film four filmers um and there's like multiple like world champion type surfers in it and they're just a bunch of close friends and some of us are like you know we've been trading for two decades and then other uh, just a couple of us and then and then sort of the rest of the group is trying to learn about trading and try to figure out you know what their style is like and we just talk a bunch of trash on our text thread and talk about stocks and then uh, um it's kind of a it's a, it's kind of a shit talking text thread. And then we also, um, it's a, it's a competition. So at the, at the, at the end of each trading month, we have to screenshot our month to date and year to date earnings or loss, our performance. And then we have to post it on our thread. And then we have a chart with all of our performance, our, our, our performance over time. And then at the end of the year, we, we decide on the last trading day of the year for our group. And then the loser has to take everybody out to dinner to really kill her sushi place. And also has to get custom pajamas with the winner's face all over them. <laughs> and it's funny because there's, I think there's 11 of us in our group now and um, everybody has a different style. Everybody has a different risk tolerance. Like the guy who won last year, he went all in on Tesla. He's like a Tesla, crazy Tesla person. And he's a, he's a surf filmer. So he, he takes wow. photographs and video of surfing. Um, he's awesome. His name is Ryan Miller and he is a crazy Tesla bull in his own account. And then in, in our little competition account, he went all in on Tesla and he's like, I believe in Tesla. So I'm going to just buy Tesla and then I'm going to see what other trades come up during the year. And he ended up buying it January 1st on 2020 and held it throughout the whole year because that was the best trade of the year. So he was up almost 800% and he won our competition last year. Um, and then this year has been really interesting. And then, so, so anyway, I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is just because the different personalities is fascinating. Like he has like my, 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 my buddy Ryan has, he also has big losing trades as well, but he has like, I'm not kidding. He has like five or 6,000% winners. Like I think his Apple position is like up 8,000%. 
He has over a thousand percent winners in like PayPal, Apple, um, Amazon, uh, Google, I think, um, Facebook. And then he has some losing trades as well, but he's interesting because he's been, he's been in the game for a very long time. He has an iron stomach for bear markets. He has an iron stomach for market corrections. Nothing will get him out of his positions. Um, so he's the opposite of me. He's not a trend follower. <laughs> he's more like big picture macro investor of like, hey, this company is going to kill it over the next 10 years and I'm not selling no matter what. Wow. And then we have other guys who like do 4,000 trades a year and they're like day traders and really crazy and like, this is my big idea. Oh, maybe it's not. This is my big idea. <laughs> and so it's really fun to be part of that group because yeah. um, you see everybody's uh, stories and everybody's learning curve and we're trying to, we're basically trying to help each other learn over time is, is the yeah. goal. Yeah. Do you see their temperaments or their personalities because you know them in other settings to match up to the way they're treating? Most definitely. Yeah. It's, it's funny because the, the guys who are the most patient in their trading accounts and have much longer time horizons with holding periods are also the guys who are the most calm and the most mellow, you know, personality type, probably the least amount of ADHD. <laughs> and then the guys who are like spazzes and, and really like have tons of energy and probably a lot more kind of frantic in their everyday life. They do a lot more trading um, and they're looking for more excitement, right? They're not so much looking for long-term success. I think they, a lot of them, you know, uh, it's, it's funny. They, you know, they, I've heard this a lot and they, they say that, Everybody gets what they want out of the market. And, I, and to a certain point, I think that can be really, really true. Because a lot of people are honestly looking for excitement and looking for fun. For sure. That's and the whether that is on the way up or on the way down, that excitement <laughs> is, is exhilarating. And, and I, um, I, can't, I don't think I can so much relate to that, but it's interesting to see in my friend group for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that sense of... I being you know i'm always advocating be self-aware the more self-aware you are as a trader whether you're starting or already you know been doing it for 20 years if you don't know yourself you're not going to be able to handle the inevitable unexpected developments and you it's you against you ultimately as a trader oh, yeah. and that's why i feel being clear on your temperament or your style, it, it just is going to mitigate a bunch of pain and suffering later. Because if you are somebody who's an adrenaline junkie, which is, you know, it's, it's funny to say that because you are not an adrenaline junkie on one hand because of your ability to mitigate risk, and yet you're a big wave surfer. So I know that sounds a little incongruent, but there, it just feels like, People have to, they have to identify for themselves. What's their temperament? Is this going to suit me? Um, but but the, it's interesting too, Shane, because I'm also seeing a bit of a, you know, you're, you're willing to let go of a wave when it's not perfect. And yet I'm noticing that you're letting go of certain things in your trading, right? You're, you're, you're not having that iron stomach. So do you see your pattern changes based on, is it the loss of the money or is there something else there? Uh, as far as, as far as like letting them go. Yeah. 
you, you said, like, I wish I stayed in some of those longer, which is why you weren't overly proud of that win. I think for me, it's more managing risk. I, I think that's the thing that's kept me out of trouble over time. That's the reason I've never blown up my account. Yeah. It's funny because I, I study a lot of really good traders and I pay attention to a lot of them and I watch a ton of um, like, like long form YouTube um, interviews and stuff with great traders. And a lot of the guys that I really admire blew up their trading accounts um, when they started at multiple times. There's there, the, the guy, uh, Mark Minervini, that um, I study and read his books. He blew up his trading account, I think, two or, two or three times. Wow. And he wasn't successful at all in trading for seven years. Wow. And now he's probably one of the most, m most uh, successful stock traders in wow. history. Um, he's winning this year's U.S. Investing Championship. Wow. He's up 350% for the year, year to date. And the, the guy in second place, I think, is up about 100%. Um, so he's, he has triple the next best uh, trader in that competition. And he started off for seven years, wasn't, success, wasn't successful at all, and blew up his trading account three different times. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's a guy named Jim Ropel that I really admire. He's an incredible trader. Um, he, he, does, he, he studied under Bill O'Neill. And now he's a hedge fund manager, but he's, he trades the Canceling system and he always has. And, and he blew up his account a couple different times. And now he's an incredible trader. He's so incredible. So good. Um, so it's just interesting. So for me, I didn't want to be another stat like that. I didn't want, I didn't, I really didn't think that my psychology could survive blowing up my account. And I really want to protect my psychology. That's probably my biggest worry is keeping my mindset intact, yep. um, not losing my confidence. And, yep. and, and, you know, over time, I'm not here to try and triple my account in the next three months. I'm trying to slowly be successful over time. I'm fine yep. if it takes 10 years. I'm fine if it takes 5, 10, 15 years, um, mm -hmm. as long as that growth is, is somewhat consistent and I minimize my, my, down, my, my, my drawdowns. That, that almost feels like one of your secret sauces, right? Because you're not, I, I think a lot of traders come to it with a gun. They hold the gun to their own head or to the market's head and say, I have to succeed in a very short amount of time. Uh, but I'm not hearing that with you. You're, you're in this for the long haul and you want to be patient waiting for that. And, and maybe that patience too, you know, you've got that patience from, waiting for those big waves that now you're just like, that's part of what's going to, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost my patience to wait it out. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still trying to learn the lessons that, that I've already learned in surfing. So in my trading, I'm really trying to learn those lessons that I, that took me decades in surfing to learn. Now as a surfer, I'm incredibly, incredibly patient, incredibly picky. I'm, I'm willing to, wait for the right swell, the right day, the right wave. I could wait all year for the right wave. Um, and then it's super, super worth it because I'm looking for the kind of wave that's going to change my life, the kind of wave that is going to, you know, be in the front of my memory for the next few decades. Mm -hmm. um, and with trade, the, the, I'm waiting for those kind of trades. That's, that's really the goal. That's what I want to do. I, I want to wait for the kind of trade that's going to be a life changer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and so th those are the lessons that I'm trying to learn and trying to get better at and, 
and and over time i'm i'm hoping to become a better and better trader you know i've i have had um i've had a, a ton of losses tons and tons of trades that didn't work out and i'm okay with that and i and during my tough periods as long as i can minimize my drawdowns and not get myself into too much trouble when the market conditions are right for my trading style i know that i'll outperform whether it's a you know whether it whether the whether the market rallies for a year or six weeks i know i can make up a, a, you know a lot of ground in those periods of time as long as i don't get myself into too much trouble when the market's bad yeah yeah the best advice to a sophisticated trader who's listening to you what what would that be pardon me what would your best advice be to a more sophisticated trader who's listening to us I probably don't have any advice for any sophisticated traders out there. I'm sure they're, they're, they're a lot more disciplined and better than me at this, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think any sophisticated trader would already know that risk management is probably, probably the biggest factor in all this, having a game plan, sticking to it, um, keeping your losses small for, for anybody who, who's trading the type of type of strategy that I am. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you're right, trying to sit with your winners. I, mean, I, I, I had a, I had a trade last year that was like a life changing trade for, for myself. Um, wow. What was it? It, what's that? What was it? Um, if you want, I can pull up the chart. Yeah, pull it up. Yeah, let's look at so it. Don't, uh, don't mistake these charts or these trades for consistent. I, I don't, these aren't, these aren't my typical trades and, and this one that, <laughs> that I'll, that I'll share is extremely non-typical <laughs> um okay so i am i'm also a big bitcoiner mm -hmm. i'm really really into bitcoin um and this company um riot blockchain they're a bitcoin mining company yeah. so i don't know how much you know about bitcoin but they basically are a public company that run a ton of mining operations that basically um they bring bitcoin onto the in into the the blockchain system um anyway this 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 is a really cool company and so because i already own bitcoin i was looking for added exposure and in, in into bitcoin public bitcoin companies ones that i could buy like in my retirement account and stuff like that sure so i'm gonna go back in time here 2020 so wow so i was I, i'm gonna go back in time so if you can see, can you see the chart? Yeah. So I don't know if you guys ever trade um, this setup called a cup and handle. Yeah, I, I probably was in this at the same time as you. Oh wow, that's cool. <laughs> I don't so think I I, it did not change my life though, so I'm excited <laughs> to hear what. Because <laughs> I I sold way too early. <laughs> so, so first of all, this stock did not fit my can slim parameters. Mm -hmm. It had. It had no, I don't think it had at the time, I don't think it had any earnings growth. No. Um, it had, I think it had accelerating sales growth. It didn't have much liquidity um, and it was a super cheap stock. I never buy anything under $10. Um, but because I was so, I, 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 at the time I was really way far deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and I had been buying, been buying Bitcoin for a while. And so I was watching this company and it set up on the chart perfectly even though this cup and handle was a little bit of a deep pattern um, and there was a lot of volatility, I thought it was worth trying right here as it went above this, like right, right above this line right here. Can you see that? 
Yeah, yeah, that four twenty-five or so. Yeah, so I I I put in a. I remember the night before it broke out. I put in a buy order at four seventeen and another one at four twenty-five. Not exactly sure why those exact numbers, but my my theory was if I was right, this thing was really going to explode to the upside because it was such a cheap stock, and because there was so much. You can see down here. Can you see my my cursor? Yeah. Yeah. Can you see that, Kim? And definitely. So do you see these little circles? I just circled, I, I, I annotated this chart myself. So you can see all the massive buying. These are all big, all these big blue bars. This is, this is tons of accumulation. So look at the volume down here. It's really low. Yep. You can see it's starting to just burst, burst, burst. All this big blue buying. There's almost no red. Look at all these huge, big, this is all buying. Wow. And so when it formed this cup and handle, there was very little selling. All of a sudden, everything was below average selling. Yeah. And there's all this super dry volume down here in the, in the lows. So I wasn't in the stock yet, but I was just watching it. And then all yeah. this volume started bursting in again. Low, low selling, big buying, low selling, big buying. And then I was like, I'm going to try this. If it breaks above this level, I'm going to try to buy a pretty big position. And if I'm wrong, I'm only going to be wrong 4%. If it goes down 4%, I'm out. Yeah. So, that, so that was my plan. So that was my, I want to, I want to plan my trade and trade my plan. Correct. Yep. And so my plan was to trade this. If it, if it came through 417 and 426, I was going to be, I was going to have a full position. So I'm going to, I'm going to click through to the next day. Yeah. That was the next day. Yeah. So the next day it was up 48%. Can you see my cursor up here? Yes. So the next day was up 48%. I bought it. I bought it right there at 417, like right, or right in there, I bought it. And then I bought more at 426. And so on, the, on day one, I was up like 48%. And then this is the most important part right here for me. See this? Can you see my cursor? Yeah, my yeah, yeah, volume. So this thing was up about 1,000% above its daily average volume, so 10x. Wow. So it, it, yeah. it traded 10x the volume of its daily average volume. And so for me, I was looking for signals that am I right or am I wrong, right? Yep. So I was absolutely right. And when I study historical winners from the past, they have these kind of characteristics where they have these really explosive, super high volume breakouts and close at the top of the range. Wow. So it closed at super high. It closed at 91% um, of, its, of its trading range for the day. So almost at the peak high after going up 48% on that day on basically 10x the volume. And, and so instead of selling, I went, okay, this is, this is, this is telling me that this is, it's early. Yeah. Um, that if I'm right with historical precedent and what I've, what I've studied, this thing could be huge. And so what I did on this day after the close, I went back and I actually went back before I bought it. And I'm not going to go back right now on the chart. But in the last time Bitcoin, Bitcoin had a huge run, this stock went up, I think about 16 or 1700 percent in 13 yeah. weeks. Wow. Yeah, it went from like uh, it was pennies, and then it went to 17 dollars, I think. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but so from its breakout point that I identified from 2017, a breakout point similar to this, it went up about I think 1800 percent in 13 weeks. So that was my precedent. I'm like, this stock has done it before it can do it again. Yep. And yep. so I'll just click, I'll just click through. So this is what I sat through. I sat through that the next day. 
Wow. Um, but I had a big profit cushion, right? So I had a stop loss set at, at, at break even. And then, so this thing here, I'm just going to go day by day real quick. Yep. And so this is day after day. This is what I was sitting through. So that was a scary day. Then it was yeah. up a lot. So I just, I had a stop loss in and, and um, it would be really interesting to, to uh, Lucas, it, it would be interesting to, to see what you're, where, 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 where you bought and sold it. Yeah. But, I don't remember. I would have to pull it up, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I bought it on that same day. I remember that day. And then I think I held it until, uh, it was the middle of December, I believe. Cause I remember wow. like Bitcoin. That's, that's so cool that we bought it the same day and held it. <laughs> I think a lot of us did because it was, I mean, yeah, you see that volume. It was like outrageous, right? Like it, just like you said, it was everything set up perfectly. And you were in before I was in though. I think I was in later in the day. Well, and because I bought it, so correctly and so yeah. precisely and so right. That's what gave me the conviction to be like, Hey, I got a huge profit cushion. Now let's see if I can tolerate the, the volatility that I knew was coming. Right. Yeah. And so how, how, how did you tolerate that then? If that, especially as your kind of Achilles heel, what do you think you linked into that day? If that helped you stay there? I think that was it. I think because I knew that I had bought it exactly right at the right at the buy point, right at the pivot. Yep. And because I had a huge profit margin, I think I moved my stop up to break even like halfway through the day. Yep. And then I moved my stop up into the money after like four or five days. Then so I knew I was going to make money on the trade. And then I went back also to this same stock in 2017 and looked like bar by bar, day by day and saw what the volatility looked like when it had its move. And so I said, you know, if I can try and hold this thing, for about 13 weeks, that's what it did last time. It had a 13 week run, it went up about 1800% from its correct buy point previously. So that was my plan and I'm like, hey, as long as this stock doesn't get into too much trouble within 13 weeks, I'm gonna try and hold it for 13 weeks. Yeah. So I'm gonna to switch to the weekly chart. Yeah. So this is that same pattern right here. Can you see my cursor? Yeah, totally. So here is 2017. Yeah. So here, this, here's the blue line, see this blue line? Yep. This is where it broke out and it went up. See right here, look, 1172%. So this is my annotation right here. Yeah. 1172% in 15 weeks, average volume skyrockets as big money is piling in. So you can see this volume right here. Totally. So this is my precedent. I was going, this has done it before, but it had crazy volatility. And so here's where I bought it this week. And so I'll just go bar by bar, but that was my, um, that was my uh, that was my precedent. So this is weekly. I couldn't believe this was real. Yeah. <laughs> so I scale. It doesn't have it on the chart right here because it for some reason this program is funky with my computer. But I scaled forty percent of my of my um, my position right there on this on this blue bar. Wow. And, this, and, the, and the reason I did was because it was 13 weeks and that was my plan as long as it didn't get in trouble and because it had gone up 1700% from, yeah. from, my, <laughs> from my buy point, which is like if I get 100% winner in a year, I'm stoked, right? That's a big winner yeah. for me. So 1700% was so far from my reality, especially <laughs> when I was willing, I was willing to risk 4%, right? Yeah. But that was a great, it was so crazy. The asymmetric trade was so bananas and out of control. 
I wish I would have blown out my whole position on that day. Anyway, I, I basically, I blew out the position the, the, the neck the, a couple days later, I was completely um, out of the position. So for me, that was like a life changing trade. Yeah. Um, I wish there were more to speak of, but <laughs> this one, so, so that one for me, do you have any questions about that trade? Lucas or um, Lucas, Lucas, do you have any? Uh, no, I think it's a, it's, it's impressive. Your, I mean, your ability to like one, just studying the past, right? Like you looked what it did. You looked exactly at how many weeks it ran. I wish I would have done that in retrospect, instead of just getting scared when I was up like 200% and bailing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I mean, that's what it takes, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, yeah. That you recognize the chain is what is, you know, a testament to why it's so important to have experience as a trader because history does repeat itself. If the patterns repeat themselves, even if it's infrequently, you spotted it, you were looking at the specific, the specifics that gave you a red alert that there was something happening here. Yeah, and it was it was honestly a crazy emotional roller coaster. I, I literally was like, I had my phone off during the day. I wasn't like emailing anybody. I, I was like in a cocoon. Like I was like so freaked out when that thing was going from like up 200% to 300% to all of a sudden it was up 500% to a thousand percent. I'd never had one of those before. And it was just, it was a trip. It was a weird, crazy wild yeah. ride. And so now it's really cool because even though I had never had a trade like that before and I, had, I haven't had a trade like it since, I yeah. know that it's possible, right? Yeah. I know that that is a possible thing. And I've read about traders who have done that time after time, like that guy talked about Jim Ropel. And for those listening, if you want to get to know Jim Ropel, there's, there's a book called How Legendary Traders Made Millions. It's a book by John Boyk, B-O-I-K. And it's amazing. And it's, it's a really neat historical book about some of the best stock traders in history and their, their trades, their specific trades, it shows charts, shows like why they had so much uh, conviction in some of these trades in the past. And reading about those guys and their trades gave me a ton of, um, you know, just mm -hmm. conviction that someday I would find that that was like that big wave that I had been waiting for, right? Exactly. And it's funny, exactly. that last week I held that stock, a really good friend of mine introduced me to Jim Ropel. And so I had a, I had a zoom call like this with Jim Ropel, who I kind of like idolized and we had like an hour long talk on zoom and I shared my screen with Jim and I shared that riot trade with him and I was still in it at the time. And I told yeah. him, I was like, I scaled 40% of it yesterday. And I was asking him what he thought, you know, cause he's been yeah. literally, he's, yeah. he's, He's had multiple riot blockchains in his life, like a yeah. lot of them, like probably 10, 15 of them, wow. where he had a 1,000% winner, 1,500% winner, 2,000% winner. And it was interesting talking to him because he's had like, he's had decades in the game and has been really successful for a long, long time trading the exact same system as I have. What did so, he say? Well, he's just said all the right things. Like, hey man, like I think you did, a, he was really wise to like de-risk the trade. And so it was just interesting. And, and um, he was like, man, a trade like that doesn't come, come by very often. You know, he hadn't had one of those in a while. And so it was interesting talking to him and he didn't tell me what to do. He just went, you know, you have, you, you already have the playbook, like from yes. how to make money in stocks. It shows you tons of these historical precedents, yes. how to handle them. He's like, my advice to you is go back to the book, 
go back to Bill's book. You can see all Bill's big winners and how he handled them and where he sold them. And that's all you need to know. Wow. And he's like, but I can tell you this much is that a winner, a stock that goes up 1700% is rare. And to sit through a move like that is rare and good job. And hopefully you have more of these in the future. And, and, um, and I knew, I knew at that point I needed to get rid of the rest of my position. <laughs> you, you have a strong stomach, dude. Yeah. You have a strong stomach. I was going to, I was going to ask, I do have one question. What, um, you know, uh, what convinced, what convinced you to even start scaling out? Like when you had, uh, that like 40%, what were, what was the reasoning behind 40% and what was your, uh, what convinced you like, okay, I got to take some off. I, well, uh, there's a couple different things. First of all, the gr- the position had grown into just a overwhelming percentage of my portfolio. The volatility in the stock was crazy, but the volatility in my personal portfolio was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I had bought that same stock at the same exact time for my daughter and my son and their accounts. And, um, and just the, my, my volatility in my portfolio was just too great. And so I was like, hey, I need to de-risk this trade. And I, I've studied um, what Bill O'Neill calls climax tops. Um, in his book, How to Make Money in Stocks, he goes, there's a whole chapter on climax tops. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these, you know, huge winning stocks from 1920 and 1930 and 1940 and 1980 and 2000 and 2010, Apple, Google, Syntax, uh, you know, uh, um, all the massive winners, tech, big tech growth stock winners of the past, a lot of the time they, they end their run in what's called a, a climax top. And so I studied previous climax tops in the, that book a million times, right? And so as that thing was running, I kept looking for a climax top. Yep, and totally. And so a lot, a lot of the climax top variables and factors were in that riot stock on that day. They had wow. the, like, uh, the largest percentage gain, the largest volume. There was a really big volume reversal. And so I scaled 20% early in the day. I scaled another 20% later in the day. And then the next day I sold the rest of my position. Um, and, I, and I guess it was both, it was forming what I felt like was a climax top. I had, I had um, traded my plan of trying to hold it for 13 weeks, which I did. Yep. Um, it was up a ridiculous amount. I had so much volatility in my account. And so th- that's really the reason I think. Um, and looking back on it, honestly, I'm really surprised that I had the stomach for that volatility. I think a part of it was hubris and maybe too much ego of like, hey, I was right on this thing. I really believe a high conviction in the whole Bitcoin story. Um, and I think that's part of the reason I held it for a long time was because I have a lot of conviction in, act- in the actual Bitcoin story and and like why why i own bitcoin for the long term and because it was a bitcoin related mining company that's part of the reason i was able to stomach a lot of that volatility yeah it doesn't sound like a lot of hubris i have to be honest shane (laughs) it just sounds like you you did your homework and all the thing all those they all came together at once and what's the point of learning all that if you're not going to run with it when it shows up yeah that's, that's right. And I was really lucky, honestly, to, to have a set of rules in my system. Yes. I had a really strong set of rules. So every day at the end of the day, I would look at, I would try not to think about it during the day. Yes. But like at the end of the day, I would look at, I would look at my rules and be like all my cell rules. Like, is yes. it, here's the things I need to be looking for. Is it, 
Is it having these characteristics where I should be selling? And nothing was really triggering that. And it like, like until the end, you got to give it room to run. You got to let your winners run. Right. And when you're right, you got to sit tight. And I knew I was right. I absolutely knew it. Like in my stomach, I knew I was right. And, um, I just was like, it's stupid of me to not let this thing play out the way all these large winning stocks have in the past. I knew I was in the biggest winner in the market, yeah. uh, which is rare. I've never really done that before. Um, and so it was, a, it was a wild ride. And it was a great, I'd learned a lot of, a, a lot of lessons from, from that trade, even though you know, they, they say you learn a lot, more, a lot more lessons from your losers, right? Which is true. I try to analyze those a lot. I do a lot of post analysis of my trades usually once, at least once every six months, I'll go through my 10 biggest losers and my 10 biggest winners. And I'll like annotate the charts and, and try to analyze what I did right, what I did wrong, and try and get better for the, for the, for the, you know, for the future. But I have to just acknowledge that how you speak about it now and what you endured even emotionally uh, during it, it, it felt to me, it sounds like you were constantly measuring yourself up against uh, something that existed outside of yourself. Like you were, you were very, uh, you were double, triple checking yourself. Like, am I following the rules? Am I seeing what I'm seeing? Like no hubris. That that's to me why you probably succeeded at it because it doesn't. I just don't hear any hubris, and that to me is like the most important quality to have in the market is you can't come in with that hubris. That's what you just said. That last line is is the truest thing about trading. <laughs> if you're, I mean, if 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 the market like if like if the market hasn't taught you humility yet, then you haven't been in it long enough. You know, it's just that it's that simple. If you get cocky and you think you know something in the market, you're about to learn a very expensive lesson. And I did after that trade, you know, they, 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 I've, I've read so much about these guys who have had massive winning streaks and huge winning life changing trades. And normally you have your biggest losses after periods of your biggest winners. Right. And so I was anticipating that actually, as Uh I was riding that thing up and I had other winners at the time because the market was really strong. Um, I was anticipating that. And so I was really trying to become really conservative at the end of that trade. And right when I sold, I was like, I know that all these great traders have had their worst losses after their biggest winning periods, because you, you become more you become overconfident because you've had this, this life changing stock or these life changing trades. All of a sudden your portfolio went from this level to this totally next level as a life changer. And then, so you think you're better. You think that you can recreate this. Yes. And so I was like hypersensitive of that not happening. So I wanted to like protect my, my, the, the, the change that I just had in my portfolio. I wanted mm-hmm. to pro- protect my portfolio over everything. Mm-hmm. And even though I was, that was at the very, very forefront of my thought process for the next like six months, even though I still overtraded, I still made tons of mistakes. I was still overconfident. Um, and I went through a period of real underperformance after that trade. Wow. Wow. And how long did that last for? I mean, it's even lasted throughout this year somewhat. It's, it's, it's interesting because so I, I'm in that sort of competition with my buddies that I told you about. And so I have a small trading account that's like my, my competition account for that, for that group. Yep. And then I have my normal taxable account and my, um, and my retirement account at Ameritrade. 
that I trade. And that's obviously like my, my, my nest egg, my, my, everything I own, everything I have in my life that I'm trading. And so my strategy, my system is the same that I trade, but my strategy is different from my competition account. My competition account is much smaller and my, my strategy for that is much higher risk. Yes. Much higher risk tolerance because I'm trying to beat my friends. <laughs> and it's your not face, it's, your it's, face on their pajamas. <laughs> yeah. And so even though I'm not I'm really not trying to blow up that account, it's yeah. not a significant amount of money for me. I'm okay if I mess up that account. Yeah. Um, it's really just for fun. Yeah. And so it's been interesting because last year in 2020, my normal trading account. My, my real trading account, I think it was up about 65% at the end of the year, which was good. But it, for the year, that was such a crazy growth stock year that I basically underperformed almost everyone who's, done, who's doing my, my CanSlim system that I follow. Most of those people were up over, over triple digits. My competition account in 2020 finished up 223% last year. Um, wow. So it outperformed my real account by quite a big margin. Yeah. This year, my, my, my real accounts have outperformed my competition account by a huge margin. Wow. I'm, I'm, I, think, I think year to date, I'm up 30% on my competition account and I'm up more like 60% in my real accounts. Wow. So it's been, it's been really kind of interesting and a good, um, a good lesson for me to have a smaller account with yeah. higher risk that I trade as yeah. kind of like a barometer of how I should be approaching my real accounts. Yeah, Does that make really? sense? Yeah, it makes so much sense. It's a, it's a very creative way to test yourself in different environments and see how. Yeah. And, and I'd be curious to see how it goes over the next five, 10 years with those two accounts too. Same. It, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's worth people doing just for themselves, you know, have a, they're in a position to have another account where they have a lot higher risk tolerance. Learn from it. Like at the very least, you're just going to learn a whole bunch of lessons about yourself and about a different style of risk. For sure. And that's something that I would suggest is instead of, um, you know, I, I think it's been really, uh, it's helped my learning curve personally to have this smaller account where I increase my risk and have the same strategy, but, um, it's, I, I definitely feel that there's a lot of lessons from that account. And so I feel like my, my learning curve is, 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 is faster with this smaller account that I'm doing. Yep. Yep. Well, it's, it's more nimble. You can be more nimble in it too, I imagine. Yeah. And there's a lot of lessons because there, there is a lot more, probably more hubris and ego in that smaller account because I'm literally trying to beat these guys. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Shane, uh, we could talk to you for another two hours and we will probably invite you back very soon because this is such a good and juicy conversation. Yeah, and I feel like we didn't even touch on surfing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because I thought we were just going to talk a lot about surfing, but I I kind of I kind of warned you, Kim, that like once I go down that that rabbit hole of trading, I, I, I get I get into it. Our, our listeners are going to be very happy. I'm sure some of them maybe are interested in surfing, but all of them are interested in trading. So they'll be happy. Um, but thank you. Just thank you for sharing, especially those charts. Uh, I'm learning a lot too. So thank you for teaching me. Never mind <laughs> listeners. And uh, if you would 
come back. We would love to have you. Anytime. Thanks for having me, you guys. Okay. Thank you, Shane. All right, guys. We'll see you the next time on The Wall Street Coach. And thanks for listening to us today. Aloha. This has been The Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.